Proverbs 19, verse 11. Next weekend I move. Moving to... It's the Greens. Yeah, number 204. And if you want to help us move, we might buy you some pizza. Actually, we will buy you some pizza if you help us move. I'm going to have a few guys. We're hiring a few guys, a couple guys to to um, move the stuff for us. Um, because every year I'm getting younger and younger, and my back's not as strong as it was. Yeah, next Saturday. Not this Saturday, next Saturday, 25th. And uh, so if you want to help us move, then that'd be great. Um, and I'm going to be only 12 minutes away. So, you know, I haven't really mind, minded the drive back and forth to Drexel. I just just love driving it. But then the last, just about three weeks ago, I was like, this is getting long. So I'm losing my grace for the ride. And then my landlord called me and said, have some bad news. It's like having some troubles. And so we're going to move out and move into a place nearby. And I'm excited about that because maybe sometimes in the mornings we can come down here and just have like a men's coffee, you know, early in the morning or something. So 6 a.m. 5.30, crack it on. PT's already up at that time. PT doesn't sleep anymore, does he? He just sits in the chair for like five minutes and then goes to work. He's just a hard-working guy. Okay, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11, and it says this. Um, the discretion of a man, and another translation says the glory of a man, the wisdom of a man. What version is yours? The wisdom of a man defers his anger, and it is the glory to pass over a transgression. And then let's, let's turn to um, Matthew chapter 26. And um, the church in Baltimore asked me to speak, had the privilege of speaking there, and Pastor Brian Lange and I just spoke about the kindness of God, and Matthew 26 and verse 53. <clears throat> yep. Uh, verse, let's try 51. Verse 51. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus. And the scene here is, is that Jesus is being arrested. He's being arrested. He was just betrayed by Judas. And he's being arrested. And um, Peter, which was the one that was with Jesus here in verse 51, stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the ear, uh, struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. <clears throat> and so in Peter's, Peter's reaction in defense of Christ in this situation, he, he draws his sword and uh, if he was not a fisherman, Jesus would be healing more than just the ear. He'd probably be putting the guy's head back together. But because he's a fisherman, he missed and hit, only hit the ear. And <clears throat> struck the servant's ear. And Jesus said unto him, Put up again your sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. 
Verse 53, Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? And so, we see here the power of Christ. And Proverbs 19, verse 11, says that the, the glory of a man, the wisdom of a man, the discretion of a man, is that he is able to defer his anger. God chose to reveal to us his power through using the medium of, of meekness. And meekness is not equal to weakness. In English, it's a very similar word, but weakness is not meekness. And the world will look at your meekness and say that you are weak. Uh, in some cultures, it is, uh, it is a, uh, it's a no-no to cry or to show any form of vulnerability because you're, you're interpreted to be weak and that you can be taken advantage of. To be compassionate is a, is a, a sign of weakness and, for some people. But Jesus here says, let's not make any mistake about this. I have the power and the opportunity to presently, the word here is presently, call 12 legions of angels. Do you know how many, how many, how many one legion is? Who knows what that is? 6,000 angels. Multiply 6,000 by 12. Right? That's Jesus. What is that? It's 72,000, right? 72,000 angels at his disposal in a moment. Jesus said, in, in a moment, I could just call them down here. And we see that that happened. We see in the Old Testament how angels wiped out an entire city in just moments. And Jesus had this power. He said, but, he said, verse 54, but how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? Jesus said, there's a higher purpose here. It's not that I am weak, but there's a higher purpose here. There, there is scripture that needs to be fulfilled. Jesus is exalting the word, and he's exalting the plan of God, and he's exalting the prophecies above the present situation. And God chose to reveal his great power through meekness. Jesus was born in a manger. He was born in a, in a, in a, uh, in a stall, in a, in a, uh, like a old um, barn, it, my my wife's village. They, she has an uncle. She's from a village of 300 people, and her uncle just has like a little, like a little uh, mini barn, and inside are all these cows, and there's horses in there, and all these animals. And you walk in there, and the stench is just immediately unbelievable. It's just animals that live there, and this is where Jesus was born. And God chose to reveal his great power through meekness. And God, God is so powerful that he did not even need to exert his great power to defeat the devil. He just needed to like lift his little finger up, and the devil was just wiped out. And so God here is revealing his great power through the meekness of Christ. I like this principle that... Um, Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 31 and verse 32, I want to read this to us. Let all bitterness and indignation and wrath, this is from the Amplified, passion, rage, bad temper and resentment, anger and animosity and quarreling, brawling, clamor, contention and slander, evil speaking, abusive or blasphemous language be banished from you 
with all malice, spite, ill will, or baseness of any kind. And in verse 32, and become useful and helpful and kind to one another. And the King James says, just basically it says this, be ye kind to one another, tender-hearted, compassionate, understanding, loving-hearted, forgiving one another readily and freely as God in Christ forgave you. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and through this act of meekness, he is using his power to bring the whole world to himself. And God has given us this power, this ability, and especially men, to uh, be very influential or very persuasive in our families and in our marriages and our, in our, with our kids. And God has given us that power not to um, squash people or to uh, wipe people out that are obviously struggling, but God has given us... And not only men, but women also. God has given us all this power to use to reveal the kindness and the care, the caringness of God. And Jesus here chose to, God chose to reveal Himself in this greatest way. God is not heavy-handed with us because if He was, we would perish, wouldn't we? Like it was, it would. David said, "It's thy gentleness that has made me great." Uh, what made David great as a Christian? It, it was not his hard work. It was not his, uh, his, his, his Christian vocabulary. It was not his religious behavior. It was not even his amazing record of not sinning, because we see David was a sinner. What made David great was really the gentleness and the meekness of God. And this is what really makes us great, and it's what makes other people great. It's what makes the church great, because... You know, many times we're going to find ourselves in a place where we could say something right and say something that is due to be said, but because of people's capacities and not and they're not able to receive it because of maybe they're struggling in their mind with guilt or they just don't feel good about themselves, one word would just quench the smoking flax and it would blow out that little flame that God is trying to trying to kindle. And so um when Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Pastor Brian Lange brought this out last night. It was just it was so good. I'd never seen this before. But remember, there was, there was different kinds of sins in the Old Testament, right? There was the sins of omission. There was the sins of uh, different kinds of sins. And there were these sins of omission, which meant that a person sinned, but they, didn't, they did it in ignorance. They didn't know what they were really doing. They didn't know that this was sinful. That they didn't understand that this was just really against God's rule of law. And when Jesus was dying on the cross, this is what he said. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And this is the meekness of God, because whenever we sin, we really don't know what we're doing. We think we do, but we have no idea what we're doing. We have no idea the impact of it on other people and how it can hurt people that we love. And so Jesus said to God, he said, I want to put the whole world in this category of the sins of omission, because the other category of sin was sin that required death, the death penalty. It required instant, um, uh, instant um, uh, judgment. Jesus said to God, he, said, I, I, he says, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus was taking the whole world and putting in the category of sins of omission. Like, 
God, don't kill these people. They're killing me, but don't kill them because they have no idea what they're doing. Jesus was the mediator between God and man. And in Ezekiel 22, I think it's 22, it says that God sought for a man to stand in the gap that he would not destroy the land. Next verse says, but he found none, and God's wrath was poured out. The New Testament, it's different. God sought for a man, and he found Jesus. Jesus stood in that gap, and he puts us in this category of we have no idea what we're doing. And so he is exercising meekness. Jesus could have reacted on the cross. He could have gotten angry. He could have gotten bitter. He could have just said, you know, these ungrateful people, I've done miracles for them. I've told them the prophecies of what's going to happen in the future. I laid out the plan that was just hidden for, for centuries before, millennia before, and now they're hanging me on this cross. And so what is amazing is that his kindness and his meekness really brings us to a place where we can see God. Um, this can happen to us, and I think it's so important for us to get a revelation of the kindness of God in our life. You know, when you sit down and think about how kind God has been to us, you know, it's really amazing, isn't it? I think it's a good exercise just to sit down and just meditate on the blessings of God, like how kind God has been to us. And maybe other people that we know, some of our friends or people that we are associated with, maybe have gone down the same road we went down, but they did not experience the same gracious consequences of their life that we have. And that is because maybe they didn't make those decisions according to the grace of God to put themselves in a place where they could discover God's plan and God's grace. But the kindness of God is a powerful thing. I think it's the most powerful thing in the universe, the kindness of God, that He does not, in Psalm 32, that God does not impute to us our sin. Isn't that amazing? God does not impute. It says in verse in chapter 32, Blessed is the man... Whose, whose sin is not what? It is not imputed. It, God has not put on us the sin that we have committed. He put it on Christ. And now we are in a place where we can receive from God communion and fellowship. You know, sometimes when we talk to people who are Christians and they're really having a very difficult day and they just blow up. I mean, we've all been there. We just blow up or we just withdraw or whatever. Just Some of us blow up, some of us just withdraw and hide under a rock. There's different ways that people deal with it. And, and instead of someone saying, you know what, you're really in the flesh right now, aren't you? That's pretty obvious, isn't it? Somebody's saying, you know, you're in the flesh right now. A better thing to do, and this is the way God deals with us, as we see this is the way God dealt with His disciples, is that we come to we come to of uh, an individual like that, and we don't throw their flesh back in their face. We just exercise meekness and we exercise kindness. And what we can do to them is we can say, you know what? I can see that you're having a tough time. Is there anything I can do for you? How are you? Like what? What's happening? And just enter into a dialogue and into communication because because. Jesus, for example, dealt with people in that way, like his disciples. Jesus spoke to Peter that way. He spoke to Peter and made the issue with Peter love instead of uh, fa uh, fa forcing Peter's failure right into his face. 
Um, I think that we see in the Bible the difference between care versus judgment. Because, you know, our anger does not work the righteousness of God. Sometimes I think, <laughs> and I think, as a, I think as a pastor or as a leader, we're faced with this all the time because we're faced with people's decisions. And, you know, the other day I, I heard a decision and I thought, I just kind of in my mind reacted. I was like, I think that is just, you know, how can that person do that? That's like, you know, for all that we've done for them, you know, and then I already immediately understood I'm in the flesh and I'm reacting. Because sometimes we think, okay, this needs to be rectified. This person needs to be confronted. And this person needs to understand what they did. Uh, because I don't know if they understand uh, what they've done. And we find ourselves, from a motivation of anger, trying to implement the righteousness of God. But the Bible says that anger does not work the righteousness of God. There are things that we should be angry about, and that's not, of course, a question, because, you know, if I understand true love, I'm going to understand true hatred. And I personally don't see the difference between love and hatred. I think it's the same thing. If I really love my kids, then I'm going to really hate things that are going to destroy them, right? There's no difference. If I really love my wife, I'm going to hate whatever would destroy that love. If I really love my church, then I'm going to really hate gossip, and I'm going to really hate anything that would come in to cause division, or any kind of talk behind somebody's back. If I really love God, then I'm going to really hate things that destroy that fellowship with God. And so, God cares for us more than anything else. See, like, we look, God, we think that, you know, we look at, uh, we look at our relationship with God from the basis of progress. Like, I'm making progress, you know. And that's really, like, so new age and so humanistic, isn't it? Like, I'm making progress. I'm going down that road. And, you know, we are making progress. And it's great to see, like, how God has has helped us over the years and where we've come from. And it's just amazing to see that. But, like, whether I'm making progress with God or not, it doesn't change God's care for us. And it's, like, so important that we remember that, that if I'm not really doing good today... And it doesn't change God's care for me. And when I understand that God loves me when I was yet a sinner in Romans 5, these are some of my favorite verses, Romans 5, 5, 5, 7, and 5, 8. Why we were yet sinners, why we were yet weak, and why we were yet enemies of God, Christ died for us. And so in our worst state, if God loved us and sent His Son and did the hardest thing, in Romans 8, verse 32 and 36, how much more... Does he want to bless us today? How much more does he want to minister to us today? And how much more does he want to work in our lives today? And so the care of God is not based on my progress, but it's really based on his love for us. You know, we are much harder on ourselves than God is. You know that? You are much harder on yourself than you than God is. You are... You're way harder on yourself, and you're harder on other people than God is. <clears throat> I think that when we get to heaven, and Billy Graham said this, we're going to be amazed at the, the, the goodness of God. We're just going to be amazed. We're going to be like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that God is that good. I mean, I understood that in my theology, but you know, I'm, I, did not, I just could not even believe that that's how God, good God is.
So just in closing here, the short message that, you know, the greatest opportunity that we have as a friend, the greatest opportunity that we have as a husband or a wife, the greatest opportunity we have as a parent is what we do when someone sins against us. It says something to us that's offensive or that betrays us or, you know, because the characteristic of the last days is offense, getting offended. God really showed me this on my on this trip that I had overseas that that in, in Matthew twenty four and twenty five Jesus said that many will be offended. God just really showed me that in the last days people are gonna get offended at churches, people are gonna get offended at God, people are gonna get offended at their at their loved ones, and they're gonna walk away. Because the love of many will wax cold. And Offenses are going to come. I mean, really. T- some. I mean, I don't want to be a, a doomsday preacher here, but it, life is life, and life is not any different to the believer than the unbeliever. And you and I have we face the same things that the unbelievers face. It's just we have a different way of dealing with things than the way the unsaved do. They, somebody gets discouraged, and they they get rejected. They go out and get drunk, or they go they just go get high. But the believer, we do we deal with things differently. We go to God. We open our Bible. We get on our knees. Get on the phone with someone and pray with them. We get to we get together, you know, to church. And you know, Kevin and I were talking about like you know how God leads us to a place where we are, where we hit the rock bottom and we discover that underneath us are the everlasting arms of God, and only from there can we just begin to get built up with God and understand that that like we don't experience the kindness and the goodness of God until there's an aspect of desperation in our life and, uh, there are there are some people that may come to church like two times a month and that's all that's all we see you know of them and praise the Lord you know but the thing is is that there will come a time in a person's life where God will bring them to a point where uh, they will hunger and thirst after His Word and His righteousness. And uh, that's an amazing thing. It's, you know, that's amazing because life happens to people. And so just in closing, I've I just been thinking about the kindness of God, the goodness of God, and how that leads us to repentance in our life. And this is Romans chapter 2. And I know that we know the verse, and maybe I shouldn't even say that, but Romans chapter 2, I love this verse. See, as a pastor, I never have to feel like I have to manipulate people into doing things because God is God, is God, you know, and things will happen eventually to people and you kind of almost see people making decisions and you're like, oh no, you know, I need to, I need to intervene and, and there are times when we should, but then there are times where we're like, you know, I don't know if there's anything I can do for that person. They, they just need to come to a point in their life where they, like, like Jacob meets the angel of the Lord while they're sleeping on a hard pillow, a rock. And in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it says this, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness? Let me read this from the Amplified. Or are you so blind as to trifle with and presume upon and despise and underestimate the wealth of his kindness and forbearance and long-suffering patience? Are you unmindful or actually ignorant of the fact that God's kindness, and listen to these words, 
God's kindness is intended to lead you to repent, to change your mind and inner man to accept God's will. What changes a person's life? It's not the hard law that drives people into the ground. That was already tried in the Old Testament. And we find that that when the, when the law and the Ten Commandments, Ten Commandments were given, it did not draw people to close to God. It actually made people, <coughs> in Romans chapter 7, understand how sinful they were. Paul said, <coughs> the law was given, sin revived and I died. A majority of the people, we don't have to tell them that they're sinners. They just know it. <laughs> There's a form of evangelism out there where they say you've got to take the Ten Commandments and really beat it into a person until they understand that they're a sinner and that they're just crying out for God. Well, the Holy Spirit does that already. There's conviction that's already happening. And I think that 98% of the people that we talk to understand that they're sinners, right? I mean, you know, just I, I don't even remember the last person that I've talked to on outreach that said I'm not a sinner. And the goodness and the kindness of God is what leads us to, to a, a transformed life. And in our church here, we, that's what we preach. We preach that grace transforms people's lives. It's the kindness of God that transforms us. It's not a new religious system. You know, Jesus came in, in Romans chapter 10, verse 2. He fulfilled the whole law. There's like nothing that's left undone. Whatever was lacking in my life and was not fulfilled in my life, Jesus fulfilled that. Jesus completed it. And so every morning when we wake up, we can think, I am okay with God, and God's okay with me. I mean, unless we're living in sin, and, and God will convict us of that, and then we can just ask for repentance, name it, and then we're like, within seconds, we're right with God, because the blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But Jesus in Romans chapter 10, verse 2, He fulfilled the whole law. Isn't that amazing? We can get up in the morning and say, you know what? I'm complete. The law is fulfilled. There's nothing that's hanging over my head today that can condemn me, except for my own concepts and my own ideals and my own religious things that I put on myself because I have a bad self-image or something. Let me just say this, too, is that, you know, when we were in Ukraine, when I was living there, we had a lot of people that, a lot of guys that were either in jail or that were drug addicts that got saved. And I had never taken any kind of pastoral course in helping people recover from addictions. I had no idea what to do, you know, and I just prayed. I was like, God, I don't even know what to say to these guys, you know. And God just said, just preach the finished work. Don't worry about all the programs and all that stuff because it's just, you know, I couldn't remember all that stuff anyway. So I just, we just preached the finished work, new creation, new vision, new life with God, a bright future, forgetting those things which are behind us, really forgetting them, just forgetting them just forgetting them and not even associating ourselves with it, but pressing on. And press on is, a, I like that word press on because it means there's resistance. <laughs> there's going to be a resistance to, to your discovery of God's call in your life. You're going to be resisted by the atmosphere, by your flesh, by other people, by other people's concepts of yourself. Everything, the world, the system is going to resist you. And the Bible says pressing on. And praise the Lord, Jesus said, has overcome all of that, and when we feel that resistance, look to Christ, and we press forward, but I remember working with these guys, and some of them, they got saved, and years later, they were in the church, and 
they were they were fine, you know, some of them had actually gotten married and and I remember one time talking to a couple of them and God just showed me that in some of their minds, although they had not lived in that for years, it was still in their mind that they were in their in their self image, they were still associating themselves with that life in the sense that this is what they would say. Well, I was a drug addict, and I will always be rejected from society. I will never be like these guys who never were drug addicts. Well, let me tell you something, that if a person's not a drug addict, there's a lot of other addictions out there that people can get into. And, and when the blood of Christ comes into our life and cleanses us from all unrighteousness, don't walk around with spots on your garment thinking, okay, you know, I'm less than what everybody else is here in this room because I went through some things and these guys didn't. You know, I'm the baddest person in the room. Well, if you think that way, then then you have not you have not forgotten those things which are behind you and you're not pressing forward to the things which God had the call of God in your life. And I just want to say that don't let the devil put on you that thing where you say, I am I am what I used to do. I am I don't look at yourself and this is what happens. People go out into they go to work and they you know they go shopping and they go into the work and they're kind of looking at themselves through the eyes of other people. You ever do that? Like I wonder what this person's thinking of me or I wonder what these people are thinking of me and look what look at the way that <laughs> I, I can tell you a story because I got in trouble like with the police when I was a teenager, like most of us did. And, you know, I told you the story before, but I, you know, I got taken home in the police car and everything, and that was fun. My dad almost killed me, but I remember from that time on, I'd walk into a store, I would like, I would think like, everybody thinks that I'm a bad person. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm, everybody's looking at me like, you know, and, and you're almost like paranoid about what people are thinking about you because you have this old picture of yourself of what you used to be like before you were regenerated before you were you know before you were born again and so you walk into this room or maybe it's not you know maybe it's not that maybe it's like okay well you know maybe it's some other image of yourself that is not a finished work image and that's just the devil projecting things at us you know when david walked into um, Saul's courts with so with uh, Goliath's head, he knew who he was, right? When Joseph walked into the courts of Pharaoh, he knew who he was in Christ. He was not the guy that was in jail. He was the guy who was, who was anointed of God. When Moses walked into the courts of Pharaoh and said, let my people go, uh, he was not this dejected failure that killed a man, the murderer, uh, you know, decades before. And so it is sin for us to think outside of who we are in Christ, and um, the Bible is a progressive. And I, I want to say, I want to like. I hope you understand what I'm going to say here. The Bible is a progressive revelation of the grace of God, and you see in the beginning of the Bible all of these laws. And as the Bible goes, these laws get le- these go- these laws get more and more consolidated. Even into the New Testament, it gets more and more consolidated. To, to this point, uh, in Romans chapter fourteen, verse twenty-three, where it says that whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And long before we ever fall into 
our weakness or whatever we have as a as a as a as a defect in our in our soul, long before that happens, we've we've departed from just trusting God, and we wrestle with all of these things over here. Like, okay, I got angry, or I you know I fell, or I did that thing again, or this happened, or you know, and I got depressed, or you know, I got whatever. Before all of that happens, we already departed from that road of just trusting God. And God's not so interested in all of this because that's all just fruit and symptoms of a deeper problem. The deeper problem is is that we stop just trusting in the grace of God that God is for us. We stop thinking that God is with us. We stop thinking that God loves us. We stop thinking that God's kindness towards me, God waits to be gracious to us. God waits to like bless His people. And I think that the devil does not want us to ever discover in our life the full measure of the grace of God. Because when we do, we just have this blessing in our life. We have this peace and this joy and we have this um, love in our life that could have never come outside of understanding the, great, the, the kindness and the goodness of God. And I tell you, you know, we're grace people. And wherever we go, there's a, there's a sense of grace. And if we live in that, everything that we touch is going to be blessed with grace. And every, every place we go in our, where we work, in our family, and we are going to become a, we're going to become a resource of blessing to people. You know? Like, how many of us have been able to bless our family with things that we never were able to do before? we knew the grace of God and the love of God. It seems to me that we have like this un, 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 unending source of like blessing that we can, you know, like bless people with. Uh, because people live in a world that's just so judgmental and it's so uh, cause and immediate effect. I remember... My neighbor across the street, you know, she backed into my wife's car. And I, it was 9 o'clock in the morning, I was reading, and I heard it. It was like this, this undeniable sense of a crunch of metal, two cars crunching in each other. I was like, okay, somebody just hit our car. So I get up, and, you know, I go to the door and open the door, and the neighbor, she comes across the street, and she's like, she's, like, she's just weeping. She's like, I'm so sorry. And, you know, I, I didn't see it, and I just didn't want to, you know. And this woman was like... She was like, you know, she thought we were just going to be so angry at her. She was so afraid. And I was like, you know, what? I don't even worry about it. It's like, you know, that's what insurance is for. Let the insurance companies deal with it. You know, whatever. Okay. It's, it's, it's okay. You don't need to. And, you know, just that revealing revelation of the kindness of God and like not yelling at somebody, you know, yeah, there's a deductible, but. God will provide the deductible anyway, and He'll provide more. And so, I think if we are just believers in the grace and the kindness of God, then we just will be people that are not going to live underneath the trend of our old sin nature and our old self-image. We've got to get out of. We've got to get out of this mentality of in, in Proverbs four, verse twenty-three, verse 22, of thinking in the old way about ourselves, because change happens when we have a revelation of the grace of God. That God is really for us. And if there's not, if there's something that we're battling with in our life, guess what? It's going to be the goodness of God that leads us to change our minds. And that word repentance, it's got a lot of weight to it, doesn't it? That's a pretty heavy-duty word. Repent. And I think the devil has 
has done that in, in Christian cultures today to scare people out of one of the most amazing things in Christianity. Conversion, being transformed. Like, you know, and I was saying that our church really believes in, in, in dramatic change, that God changes people. That the world cannot change itself. The, the world can, and the programs of the world and humanitarian but social programs and you know, these rehabilitational programs can change behavior, but it can't change the inner heart of a person. And so, like, if God wants something to be changed in my life, then He's going to reveal His goodness and His kindness, and that's going to lead us to a point where we just fall on our face before God, and we just say, God, I I can't even believe Your grace, because I deserve right now to go to the deepest part of hell, but You are so kind to me, and that just changes our life. It just changes it. We are made, our soul is made in such a way that when it sees the grace of God, it changes. And um, remember when Jesus was in, the, when Peter was in the boat with Jesus and they had been fishing all night and they caught nothing and then Jesus says, cast your net on the right side of the boat. And Peter says, nevertheless, we've been working all night. Nevertheless, we'll, at your word, we're going to cast the net on the right side. Right side. I'm saying left here, right side. I'm dyslexic. What happens? They get a fish. And what does what does Peter do? He sees the amazing grace of God. What does he do? He falls on his face and he says, Depart from me, for I am a sinner. He said to Jesus, He says, You know what, Jesus? I'm a bad man. He goes, I'm not a good man. I'm not a good person. I'm not probably not a good choice for your prime disciple. Let me just give you a heads up here. I'm a, I'm a bad man. You should depart from me because I'm a sinner. And you know what Jesus said to him? Fear not. Isn't that great? Fear not. And I think that many of us are fear, fearful that God's going to reject us, that we're going to do something that God's going to reject us. And we don't have to ever live in that fear because that doesn't, that's not the, the mindset of God. And so I love this, that God's, God's goodness and God's kindness makes us great. It changes us. It regenerates us. It it gives us it gives us hope when we're at the bottom of the pit. You know, we look at God and we say, "Wow, what a good God!" You know, what a kind God. There is actually hope for me, and we can get back on our feet. And every morning, we just got to get indoctrinated with the grace of God. We got to take we got to take in that grace. We got to drink it in like we drink our orange juice every morning. Just have a cup of grace every morning and just think about God is for me. God is with me. God wants to bless me. God wants to use me. God wants to answer prayers in my life. And God wants to, um, you know, work through me to bless people. Isn't that amazing? Like, here we are in this this church, and hasn't God been good to us? Like, isn't God doing just some beautiful things? And we become avenues and, and, and like these generators of the goodness and the kindness of God. And, you know, of course there's a devil that tries to mess things up, but we we just, we understand that, we discern it, and we just move on. And so, the goodness and the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, that changes us. Guilt does not change us. Guilt doesn't, condemnation doesn't lead us to repentance. Condemnation leads us to shame. It leads us to, like Esau, right? Remember that, you ever think about that verse that Esau sought with great strong tears, he sought repentance he was seeking for repentance with much tears and much anguish and regret. Remember that? Esau understood like his mistake. 
but he didn't find it. And today people look for repentance and they look for forgiveness through tears and all of this emotional stuff and beating themselves up at the altar and, you know, come forward, you sinner, you know who you are, come forward. And, you know, it's like there's something that, you know, inside of us that likes that because it's guilty. But that's not the way God works. God doesn't work that way. God will transform a person. He'll transform our lives through a revelation of His goodness and kindness. And it happens in a moment. So that's just a few words, a few things I was thinking about. So we really had a, you know, really had a great trip um, overseas. And that was one of the things we were talking about, like compassion that makes a difference. So anybody have any comments or any thoughts about that?